Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is the weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam! Yo. It's it's 2019. Yeah. This is our first, first one in the newest of years. Yeah, did we say Happy New Year last episode? I can't remember. Anyway, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy yeah, New Year. I, happy New Year, people. <laughs> uh... And with the new year comes what some people are hoping for to be social upheaval, a real change. <laughs> you know, the proletariat rising up against the bourgeois and a resistance. kind of taking over. A resistance, if you will. Yes. Uh, we've we've now become an Antifa podcast. I don't know oh, no. if you guys got those programming notes. We're just we're going real, real hard in the paint politically here in twenty nineteen. <laughs> and I hope everyone's okay with that change of pace. So, what are we talking about today, Adam? <laughs> We're going to talk about uh, the... Me- it's X-Man an X-Man update. update. This was supposed update? to be over. This is supposed to be over, and I'm sorry. Look, man, the age of X-Man is upon us. How could X-Man updates ever be over? So what's the X-Man update? Okay, so number one, we are not going to update every time we read an issue of Age of X-Man, because that takes us through July. Yeah, that'd be pretty rough. That's a lot. We'd turn into a Two, recap show. Remember remember how this entire segment started? Because it started with a package. I do. Yeah. Not X-Man's package. No. <laughs> a package no. of X-Man. Yes. Yes. I received another package today. Oh, God. What did you get now? Uh, friend of the show, Tom Cummins... With help from friend of the show, Charlie Davis, sent me a blanket, a large fleece blanket, <laughs> and on it is the promo art for Age of X-Men. That's awesome. By, I think, Raza. Wow. That's cool. It's very nice. <laughs> my wife was trying to, my son kept asking, who's on that? And my wife said, X-Man. And he said, yeah, it's X, he's not an X-Man. Who is he? <laughs> She said, X-Man. He said, no, that's not an X-Man. X-Mans are Wolverines. Who is he? And I said, babe, he's not going to parse this one. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. That's that's a fun one to explain to guests. Yes, it's, it is very comfy, <laughs> and it goes well with our nice new sectional. So thank you. My wife is thrilled. Um, but it's, uh, but it's ser- not seriously, a, thank you, guys. It's not a Snuggie? No. no, it's not a Snuggie. Not a Snuggie. I wish... Dang it. That's the only way that could have been better is if there was a Snuggie option from the Walmart <laughs> photo print shop. <laughs> hey, a fleece blanket, a giant fleece blanket with cover art on it is a fun idea. So uh, nice job, guys. Yeah, I need to stop making jokes because somehow they're turning into reality. It's scaring me. <laughs> At this point, I the novelty has worn off and now I'm just terrified of what I can rot. Yeah, people have... Friends have your email address and they read your Twitter. So this could be crazy. It's terrifying. <sighs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> back back to back to taking down the government. What are we talking about today? 
Uh, today we have three stories that are all about the uh, metaphorical story state of Genosha. So uh, we we're going to go to when they first introduced it to the most famous crossover and then a story that I had never read where they kind of follow up on some of it. So where are we starting today, Zach? Well, we're not starting with the request that came from uh, Vishal Guapali, who I've known for a while. He's a he's a real cool dude. So VG, thank you for supporting the podcast. It nice. means a lot. He went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files. He pitched in a couple of bucks and he got an episode crafted around his suggestion, which is actually going to be the second. It's Extinction Agenda. Like, come on, people. <laughs> why should I? Why should I hide it? It's in the episode notes. It's in the art. That's right. People and know what they're And we said we're talking about Genosha in a famous crossover. It's, yeah. But we'll do that second because for the people who don't know Genosha, I think our starting place is a good place to start. Yeah, so we're going to start with Uncanny X-Men 235 to 238, which is the story where Genosha is originally introduced and Rogue and Wolverine are abducted and taken there. And we sort of get our, you know, our introduction to what this uh, apartheid metaphor is all about. So, uh, you know, before we talk about the story, Zach, maybe we should just start with this, because uh, since all three of these stories are about Genosha. Do you believe that the concept of Genosha works? Like, do you like it as a storytelling technique, as a, uh, you know, a, an extension of the mutant metaphor, if you will? I like it better than I did before reading these for this episode. I'd read all these stories before, but, you know, everything kind of jumbles up, especially when, like, I read these in a big run of something. Yeah. But going back and specifically looking at the concept of Genosha, which, you know, started out as a place where it was a rich wealthy nation off the coast of africa and the big differentiator was that they had a mutant population that was controlled by the government and used for their labor mm -hmm. and it can be clunky at times oh sure but i think i think as a as a storytelling device to show mutant oppression it works really well especially because you can't like have the US government doing these things even though there are government sanctioned killbots because the Marvel universe is more or less supposed to be the world outside your window mm -hmm. and there's only so far you can stretch it before it stops being that so as as bad and as weird as Marvel America and you know our America is i uh I think that it is a good story to tell. I think where the, the Genosian stuff works the best is really in this first story. Um, if only because it's open enough as a story um, and as a concept that it doesn't have to be a direct parallel. Um, for example, the opening of the story actually seems to be much more of a like jumping across Berlin wall kind of a thing. Um, there, mm -hmm. There's a variety of different kinds of parallels that you could make to what's going on in the world at that time. Um, so I, I think it works okay in this storyline. Um, we've got Chris Claremont writing um, on two issues. We have Rick Lee and Artie doing the artwork um, on two of the issues. We have Sylvestri doing the artwork and uh, it's an, it's an interesting kind of premise that we've got here. We're introducing a lot of characters 
and uh, a lot of world building happening in a very very short period of time yeah and i like it i think i think claremont does a very good job setting up this new place yeah and making it feel vibrant and rich and real that's a that the coolest thing i think they he did with genosha is the genosians who are in power don't feel like evil caricatures they feel like real people who have real hobbies and like a real life and are also evil like it's just it that's just what they do they don't think about it it's a very apt way to describe this because like the gene engineer which is a bad name and no government official should be called that <laughs> uh the gene engineer gets introduced while he's gardening i was gonna say you know and and he's dressed you know he still has a shirt and tie on but he's dressed kind of casual he's got kind of like a a loose fitting sweater on he's maybe even wearing sweats i don't know it, it just looks like he's kind of like casual dad on a saturday um and yet he's being flown through you know there's a lot of good world building with uh them showing exterior shots of architecture and the Mm -hmm. conversations that he has along the way with um uh, for those of you who may not have have read this arc the basic premise is that the uh gene engineer excuse me um his son is already very suspicious of the entire premise of genosha but um jenny ransom has been detected to be a mutant and jenny has you know made her escape and they're trying to get her back um the x-men get involved you know i think another really good aspect of this is um the x-men's absolute horror as to what is going on in genosha Mm -hmm. you know psylocke does a, a mind scan of um what's what's the team here that's i'm forgetting their name uh oh the press gang yes the press gang and is just the press gang are bad by the way yeah they are well, not memorable at all no we and i want to get into um uh, the, the the modem technology in a second here um but you can tell just like the the utter disgust like they want to just absolutely wipe this you know, these people off the face of the earth for what they're doing to their brethren. And, uh, it's understandable. You know, I feel like the emotional, uh, aspects of this story work really, really well. Yeah. I think it's, this is, this is where mutants as a metaphor shine, because this was not just doing a, Hey, racism's bad guys or sexism's bad or homophobia. It sucks. This wasn't any of that. This was looking at real world things that were going on and using, you know, the X-Men as a, I don't even want to say minority group specifically here, but using them as, you know, the underdog, the oppressed Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, to bounce out in the context of a superhero story. Because this is still a story where Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, takes over Rogue's body and her and Wolverine fight on top of a train for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of fun superheroing. Um, There's unnecessary nudity for no reason. Um, Okay. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Do not get it twisted. Modem is completely unnecessary in that he uh, Terminator transports them. So they have to be naked. Is that what his name is? What is his actual name? White. uh, White pipeline. Pipeline. pipeline pipeline yeah all right there is hank hank shaw pipeline and punch out Ugh. 
I hate them. Yeah, they're not very good. They're just, they aren't interesting designs or interesting powers or interesting at all. But anyway, Pipeline teleports them naked and it's just Rogue and Wolverine. And in this story here, they are not explicitly sexualized in any weird way. They are both given kind of agency over that. I think it's, I don't think it's done poorly here. I don't understand the choice. The people in the future don't understand the choice because they drop this element real quick. And I think in Extinction Agenda, this choice goes from a weird one to problematic. <laughs> and, we'll but, get, and we'll get there. But it also just doesn't make sense because when um, Pipeline modems people as it's used as a verb here, which is just so comical to me, knowing what the state of the internet was at the time of this published um when this was published in 1988 yes yeah the idea that someone i'm just imagining someone with like a 28k modem like trying to uh, send somebody person well and they specifically say that they use a phone line to do it somehow like it just really makes me laugh um but whenever they send any of the actual um press gang or you know, or the or the Genosian soldiers, they're always fully clothed. They're fine, um, but our superheroes always seem to end up uh, naked for some reason. Yeah, man. Okay, that part is weird. No, no question there. It's a little strange. Anyway, the S the X Men come and rescue them, and Havoc blows up their big government prison building. In a set, and Wolverine looks at them and says, "If you don't stop." Because, like, if you don't fix your country, Philip Moreau, who refuses to let me take down this fascist government, we will do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> Which, it's interesting. The one thing that kept jumping in my mind in this story is that this is a post-superhero story. This is not like the Avengers going to Latveria and having to fight Dr. Victor Von Doom. This is... The X-Men aren't really placed as superheroes. They still have the tropes and the trappings from, you know, being a superhero book for a lot of years. But that's not their role in here. They really do play the role of revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. It's a it's a good look for the X-Men. I like it. Well, I think, you know, we haven't mentioned this, but the lineup here is the Australian lineup where prior to Inferno here, so there's elements of Madeline Pryor turning into the Goblin Queen over the course of this arc. Um, yeah, yeah. And I've always enjoyed this, you know, era because the X-Men were considered sort of these outlaw criminals, invisible to media. You know, they're, they're these, like you said, they're these revolutionaries who are going in and, you know, trying to really knock heads, but for a greater purpose. Um, so I think this arc works really well. Um, and I enjoy it. I, 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 you know, the, the difference between Leonardi's art and Silvestri's is pretty striking, but at the same time, I think both of them are strong enough that, uh, the story works really well with, with their oh, yeah. work, you know? Yeah. I like both of them. Yeah. I like it a lot. So we've got how many stories on our list now? It's very long. 180 stories on this list. Holy cow. Wow. It's like we've been doing this for a little bit. A little bit. Starting with Days <laughs> of Future Past. Going all the way down to the Draco with, well, what's half of 180? I should be able to do that. That's 90. There you go, At buddy. 90 is X-Men Blue Cross Time Capers. Mm-hmm. So that's our that's our split. You can see the full list. It's in the episode notes. There's a link to it if you really want to follow along. You may spoil where we place. Welcome to Genosha. Well, and we 
we do have some uh, Aussie X-Men on the list at 94 and 95, um, which was the Australian Xmas issue and the Life Old One-Shot Men. Um, I was looking higher than that. Oh, I First was too. First place I was looking was number 60, Inferno. I think this is better than the X-Men X-Factor parts of that story. I I think it's uh, a really solid, you know, it's it's almost like, I mean, it's not a, a bottle episode, if you will, because, you know, it takes place over four issues. But it's this isolated thing. This this happens after a quick brood. Uh, I said brood. Zach, I yeah, said brood. Yeah. Um, I know you were doing a, so good. <laughs> Uh, a brood arc and then it and then it you know it, it goes into inferno but this kind of stands alone while still acting as a transition so i think it's really fantastic um where how high would you go i guess is the question i'll ask this is it better than executioner song at 49 uh that's tough that's tough um I don't know. I feel like a lot of the symbolism and and the the metaphors of what's going on here, you know, Claremont is throwing political imagery in here too. Like there's uh, the there's a take on the the infamous LBJ Daisy ad that uh, opens up the fourth issue of this. I, I just think there's some really smart things happening here. So yes, I think it might be better than Executioner's Song. Okay, uh, is it better than? Let's see, is it better than X Men Alpha Flight? Because I know that one's close to you. <laughs> it, I think I think it is. Um, okay. I, I mean, I, I love that story, but I, I think this is good, too. Do you like it better than the early Cable and Hope stuff? I do. I kind of really do. Okay. Uh, where I think I'm looking as my ceiling is number 38 on our list, which is X-Men Legacy 208 to 210. Well, that's a good which comparison. Which is that Professor X waking up story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so is this better than Wolverine, Lord of the Vampires? No. No? Okay. I do I, think... But I do think it's better than X-Men 92 volume, you know, the first uh, volume two, one through four, The World is a Vampire. All right. So we're splitting up the vampire story. So this is going to come in at number 40, right? This is going to come in at number 40. It is Uncanny X-Men 290, or 235 to 238. Welcome to Genosha. Nice. Well, and uh, now that we've been welcomed to Genosha, we might as well get into uh, one of the biggest X-Men crossovers of all time and uh, our request for this week, which is Extinction Agenda. Um, are you a fan, Zach? <laughs> nah. Nah? If I'm being honest, <laughs> no. I uh, Well, here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Adam, 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 listen. Here's the thing. All right. Go for it. When I did my big epic Claremont run, there were issues of Extinction Agenda missing from Uncan or from you know Marvel Unlimited at the time. Oh. So I skipped it. Interesting. And I came back like a year later because they finally added them. Uh-huh. And I was like, man, this is this is definitely tinged by nostalgia for some people. Uh, this story's not the best. Um, okay, so let's just give a quick synopsis of what happens here, because um, we do have all uh, three of the X teams from um, 1990 here. So we have the Uncanny X-Men, we have X-Factor, we have the New Mutants, and this is a sequel to the story we were just talking about, 
um, because after the siege perilous havoc is a magistrate in Genosha and he basically comes back to steal some of the, uh, you know, the mutants to bring him back uh, to Genosha, which brings the fight to them, which uh, when we get to Genosha, we're no longer just dealing with the Genjineer. Uh, we are now also dealing with a giant robot spider version of X-Factor's original foe, Cameron Hodge. Um, great covers. Uh I I want to talk a little bit about the high quality of what's going on with Jim Lee and the low quality of what's happening with everything else, because I think that that is a huge factor in how I look at this series. Mm-hmm. Um, what but, the Jim Lee stuff looks great. Well, I mean, I, I think it's not, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that if you go back to these three issues, this is I mean, this could be the highlight of Jim Lee's X-Men work for me. Uh, I think the work that he's doing here is incredibly expressive. It's very physical. He's doing camera angles that he wouldn't normally do in other circumstances, even to the present. Um, He gets a chance to draw a wide variety of the X-Cast in really cool ways throughout his issues. And it's so unfortunate that the other issues are for the large part just really difficult to, and painful to look look at um i i'm i'm assuming you share my opinions on this yeah the liefeld ones don't look great but the john bogdanov ones look really bad and i don't know what was going on with those uh i know there is the books seem like they were rushed considering that the letterers on this book is just like named strike team x which tells me they sent pages to literally every letterer they had and said please help us oh yeah there's a lot of inconsistencies you know the art on 27 uxm 270 is absolutely gorgeous but let's take a scene like um storm and gene talking at harry's hideaway the lettering is atrocious um it's it just seems like incredibly spaced out and weird and and very not in in line with what we expect with a mainstream marvel comic book even at this point in time um so it's really unfortunate that that we have this up and down with the artwork because it makes it much more difficult to you know talk about the story in terms of its writing because of the inconsistencies with the artwork Liefeld is clearly phoning in you know, whatever it is, I think Bogdanov's even doing finishes on some of this stuff here. There's this whole issue done by, um, what, what's the guy's name? Uh, Gene, Gene Yap, Gene Yap. Yeah. Which is also like, it's just very, very difficult to, to look at characters go in and out of model. And, you know, that alone makes the story very problematic. Um, but you were mentioning before that there are some elements of the story as well that, are a little problematic. They get a bunch of teenagers naked for no reason and then humiliate them. It's a weird look and they shouldn't have done it. Yeah. They also kill Warlock in a really weird way that doesn't really honor the character very much um, and seems very arbitrary. It doesn't. Now, I understand wanting to write Warlock out of the book given the direction that the book had already started to go and the direction that Liefeld wanted to take it later. Warlock doesn't really fit that mold, and I can understand that. They kill him kind of just to kill him, and it's not really given. 
it doesn't it doesn't resonate as well as I think it should. Oh yeah. I also love Warlock, so I I don't like that he died. Well, yeah, he dies in a very ugly issue, and it almost happens like off panel. It feels you know very very dishonorable to this really fun character that I think a lot of people loved. Um, even if you know you know that you're moving towards X Force and you, and you don't want this to be uh, you know where the where the team is going. Um, I I think another hugely problematic thing, and you've been hinting about this on your on your Twitter, is the sort of retcon of Gene and Logan um being oh yeah that's bad i forgot about that already you know like it's mentioned in that harry's hideaway scene and then when they do you like reunite in a jail cell they make out and it's just weird like i I just it's funny uh x-men x-men 92 writer chad bowers uh was sending me something on Twitter about that, saying, yeah, every kiss between Gene and Logan is problematic in some way. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. I mean, we saw it happen before in Inferno, but here it feels like incredibly forced and it just doesn't really, I mean, and again, the art is not doing it any favors, you know, with the, the contortions that the characters are taking to like get this kiss. Yeah, Gene, Gene does not look like a human looks, no, no. which is, which is odd. Yeah. Yeah, so but, yeah, we've got some really, really wild stuff here, which is a darn shame because there are some really cool design elements here that if they were able to let this breathe and even maybe shorten the story a little bit, maybe make it just a, a Jim Lee arc and uncanny, um, you know, Cameron Hodge's design here with, you know, especially when he's walking around with this uh, spider outfit on and when he's got the cardboard cutout of a, of a guy that's in a the best, suit. That's the best. That's the best Cameron Hodge. When he has the suit yeah, in like, front of him. And someone even says, do you think he thinks we don't notice? <laughs> you know, there, there's some really cool action sequences. Um, you know, we get Wolverine versus Archangel. Um, we get Gambit picking a lock by, by digging a spike out of his leg. Um, you know, there are some cool things here. But on the whole, I remember having this trade as a kid and only reading the Jim Lee issues when I revisited it. Um, because I, I just didn't look, that's not a bad, that's not a bad plan. No, I just didn't want to look at the rest of it. Um, so I can't really recommend this. And you were mentioning before, I don't remember if you said this on air or off air, but you know, the idea of nostalgia may have clouded people's recollections of like the quality of this story. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, this this is weird. So one thing, if you notice how we're talking about this, we haven't talked much about the actual plot or the things that happen because it's so bare bones. The Some new mutants get kidnapped and the X-Men go take over Genosha and save them. Right. Storm and that's is, nine issues. Yeah, Storm is made into a mutant, mutate and re-aged. Uh, so she's not which a- is done so weird like the panel that she becomes and quote-unquote adult again mm-hmm. she's drawn pretty much the same way as when she was <laughs> supposed to be like 11 she's just it's bald. like her legs are a bit longer right right um well and that you know that goes to how people can or cannot draw children um and gosh it wasn't really ever defined as to how old storm was when she was de-aged either right yeah also her her pl- how they say uh she got re-aged is weird because it all happens off panel it's like oh yeah the gene engineer did all this and now you can touch people and give them their powers back 
Oh, yeah. She gets turned into a weird plot device. Like, it's... Yep. Yep. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not much to it. It's a bunch of fight sequences. Mm -hmm. And then they take down a fascist regime and say, Ah, dang. Uh, Havoc, you're staying around to fix this, right? Got it. Thanks, man. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, some of the repercussions that come out of this um, with Havoc and Rain that Peter David works with in, uh, you know, his arc of X-Factor, they're interesting. Um, you know, the story itself, it's really, you know, it's a, it's almost an eyesore, you know, flipping through the the final issue of this, you know, just looking at rain who is so off model as like this gigantic, you know, ripped shirt werewolf type looking thing. Oh yeah. She looks bad. It's, it's just tough. You know, it's really tough. And with a little bit more patience, I think this could have been much better. Um, but as it stands now, I, I can't really recommend it very much. Oof. So, yeah, uh, if you like Extinction Agenda, tell us why. <laughs> because I don't get it. Well, again, some of the most beautiful Jim Lee artwork, you know, some of the spreads here, some of the action work. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous. But, you know, as you said, the story is thin. And when you get to the other, what is it, uh, six parts of this? they're really, really bad. Um, so you can't just recommend an entire crossover over the quality of the artwork in three of those issues. So I've got a good thought then yeah. of where to start. Okay, let's go. How do you feel about it compared to the current 150 on our list, which is X-Men Volume 2, Numbers 10 and 11, that Jim Lee Mojo story, and also the Mark Texera, uh, what's his name, Maverick story? I think this is better than that. I, you know, I obviously when uh, Jim Lee was exiting X-Men Volume 2 at that point, he was really phoning it in. He was probably working more on his Wildcats stuff. The artwork here wow, is... Wildcats. Yeah, Wildcats. Um, <laughs> you the, know, there's a Wildcats cartoon theme song that I just heard for the first time, and it's yeah, very bad. Yeah, the animation's terrible, too. I think Nelvana did the production on that. So uh, check that out, everybody. Um, I, ugh, I I, think it's we're in It's not as good as number 115, X-Men Ghost Rider Brood Trouble in the Big Easy. Oh, no, no. Uh, so I, I wasn't going to go our, that That's our span. Which is about one uh, wheel click on my monitor, which is perfect. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we're in the right part of the list. I think the question is just how low are we willing to go? There's some other arcs that I think could be good touching touch points here, um, like the Enter the Void, um, which is the Wills Portatio um, Uncanny X-Men 284 to 286. Um, another kind of thin but visually strong story with the with his issues. How do you feel about it compared to that? I think that's more consistent. I think it's better too. Can I tell you a really dirty secret about Extinction Agenda? Yeah, go ahead. I fall asleep every time I read Extinction Agenda. Yeah, that's because it's it does not keep your attention. I've um, done it several times and I've fallen asleep in the middle of it several times. How about we recently did? Um, X Campus? Better or worse than X Campus? The Jim Lee issues are better than X Campus. Yeah, they are. But the, but rest, like, of, the rest of it isn't. <laughs> I, I, hand to God, people know my, 
my opinion on the new X-Men kids. I think that first arc of new X-Men is probably I'd rather read it again. Um, And where's that? That's at... That's at 139 on our list. 139. Okay. All right. I'm going to recommend that we put it no lower than 145, which is Murder Grandpa's. Um, We've got two very thin stories there. 144 is uh, Generation X 62 Monet Vampire Slayer. And then we have Murder Grandpa's. I think this well, I was, is better than those two. Yeah, I was I was actually going to say, let's put it at our new 141 below the uh, Uncanny X-Men, uh, X-Men Children of the Atom crossover, the 35th anniversary. Great place to put it. I love it. So that makes Extinction Agenda our new 141 on the list. I feel like we probably just made a lot of people angry. What do you think? <laughs> I feel like this is a much more defensible position than saying Inferno wasn't as good as you think it is. <laughs> well, folks, if you knew we hated Inferno, uh, which, you know, we don't hate Inferno. We just have to judge it against other things. Um, yeah, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Inferno, where is that on the list? Well, New Mutants is pretty high. Um, uh, okay, you say we hate Inferno. The Inferno, the main Inferno arc is still number 61 on our list. That's not bad. No, not at all. No, we don't. We just don't think Inferno's the best. All right, so we've we've sort of slipped in quality here. Uh, So where are we going next? Because I had not read this next arc, and I was kind of surprised to see that it was kind of an extension of what we were just talking about. Yeah, this next arc is Cable 26 through 28, The Long Way Home. Uh, It's written by famous television producer Jeff Loeb. You may know him from such hits as Iron Fist or the Ultimate Spider-Man TV series or actually a lot of really good stuff. Like, he is also behind Legion, which is really good. Mm -hmm. So maybe Jeff Loeb with all of his bad elements, yeah, maybe, maybe Net... He's pretty, pretty okay. He also did Ultimatum, but then he also did, like, The Long Halloween. So, I don't even... <laughs> Jeff Loeb wrote a lot of X-Man, but also he did uh, freaking Spider-Man Blue. So, I don't even know how I feel about Jeff Loeb. <laughs> it's quite, Jeff Loeb's all over the place. It's quite the spectrum. So, Cable has just uh, returned from the future. His wife has died. Domino is straight up crushing on him. Well, Um, his wife died again. He just saw his wife again. It's always something, right? Um, It's always something for Cable. We're back in Genosha because Jenny Ransom um, and the Gene Engineer's son are basically revolutionaries now and are working to overthrow the government. Yep, uh, the government, uh, when they said they weren't going to be bad, uh, that didn't work out very well, and then Civil War broke out. There you go. So, Jenny Ransom and Philip Moreau are leading the charge for the revolutionary, saying, we are done with this dictatorship, we are done with the 1% taking everything from us, we are going to overthrow you. And And, uh... Cable and Domino just show up and say... Sure. We can be freedom fighters <laughs> for a little bit. We don't have a car, so this is where we're going to be. <laughs> well, and of course, this entire arc is complicated by the fact that we have an extra ex-villain involved here, right? Yes, um, we do. Yes, we do. So who we who are we uh, spotlighting here in these three issues of Cable 26 to 28? We, we got Sugar Man. 
Adam, how do you feel about Sugar Man? Because I love him. But if you told me he was your least favorite thing of all time, I would say that's an incredibly valid position that I cannot argue with you. All right. So um, Sugar Man is originally from Age of Apocalypse, and he is from my favorite part of Age of Apocalypse, which is the Generation Next crossover. He is very clearly a Chris Pachalo creation and handled correctly by another artist. He can be kind of cool. You know, the artwork that we see in cable number 27, um, who, uh, who's doing the illustrations? Ian Churchill. We have three different artists here. Um, Yeah. We've got uh, Rob Haynes and Randy Green on the first issue Ian Churchill on the uh, second and Wilfred Santiago on the third. Okay. Uh, so, but we do have Scott Hanna inking uh, the last two. So they feel pretty consistent. A little similar, right? So Ian Churchill's yeah. got the best handle on what Sugar Man is supposed to look like. The other two artists <laughs> kind of don't, you know, so if Sugar Man is handled incorrectly, he basically looks like a sweet potato that you just stuck a bunch of stuff into and then put into, uh, you know, 1990s TGI Friday overalls with buttons all over it. Um, so it's it's a mixed bag. He has four arms, by the way. He has yes. four, arms. four arms. In one arm, he has a gun. One arm, he has a hatchet. One arm, he has a knife. In one arm, he has a hammer that has a bunch of inside jokes from Marvel editorial on it. (laughs) Um, Like, it's a bunch of shout-outs to people. It's great. He's also wearing flip-flops, and he has a tongue that can stab you. Yeah, he's also... And horns! He's also being retconned, starting with this arc, I believe, into having influenced some of Marvel's more famous events. Um, yeah. How do you feel about that? (laughs) That Adam, that Adam is that, that's the nineties X-Men stuff that I love because it's not good. It's not good. Let's things I love and things that are good are very different. This is nineties X-Men just saying, how can we complicate things unnecessarily? I know. Let's have multiple characters from the Age of Apocalypse steal Age of Apocalypse Sinister's detailed genetic information about mutants, send them back in time, and have them influence Genosha and the Morlocks, respectively, and then have 616 Sinister be real pissy about it. (laughs) I do like that. I enjoy the fact that Sinister is there trying to track down what is going on, why is his stuff being used by someone else, and, uh, you know, getting all upset about it. I also appreciate Do you think, do you think... Yeah. Do you think that Sinister would have been cool with it if they, like, cited their sources in their research? If they would have said, yes, we made this population of uh, mutant slaves. Also, we used research from this man named Essex. Check out his seminal paper. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Would would Sinister look at that and say, yes, I am a system. I'm a, I'm a system across uh, dimensions and I can handle that across timelines. Um, or would he be like, no, I, I'm the real one and... Let me get uppity about it. I don't know. That's a great I question. I like to imagine that Sinister's used to everything being Sinister, so he'd be okay with other Sinisters. Yeah. I do think, though, that um, him discovering that his science was used by a guy who does X-Men fan art and sticks it to the wall of his, uh, you know, his hidden 
uh, lab, <laughs> which if I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> some really really Sugar Sugarman does that. Yeah, Sugarman does like really bad X Men drawings <laughs> and sticks them to his wall. Uh, it's never commented on. It's just very funny. So there's some Ugh. there's some good stuff happening here. Um, I do like the the revolutionary stuff. Um, you know, the art is inconsistent across the three issues, but unfortunately, you know, it's, there's not a lot really going on here. No, it's Cable and Domino are essentially on a roller coaster of, okay, crap, we're in Genosha. Oh, there's a revolution going on. Well, we have, we have history of guerrilla warfare. So why not? These seem like bad people anyway. And then you have them finding Sugar Man and Sugar Man saying, hey, I'm going to blow up the friggin' terminal reactor and then the last issue is a 60 second time span of them escaping yeah that really does not work either like you're reading this issue going this has taken more than a minute folks yeah it's not done as well as when like uh claremont and bachelor do that uh with end of rays oh yeah no like each page takes like two minutes here clearly um it's definitely not happening in in 60 seconds uh you know, so th- there's fun to be had here, but it, it also feels like, you know, a bit shoehorned. There's some stuff about Cable being a, like a messiah for this group or something. And that that feels a little weird. Um, I don't think that's ever even touched on again. No, of course not. Uh, you know, it, it it is what it is. I thought it was interesting that plot lines from Extinction Agenda were still being picked up and developed into storylines in a Cable story. I thought that that was yeah, interesting. Cable from '96. It's it's got some it's got some interesting stuff to it. This is just something. It's a weird oddity. It's not bad. It's not good either. Can I tell you one thing that really bothered me though when I was reading it? Yeah, go for it. Especially on issue twenty-seven. The coloring, oh, very is not good. Yeah, well, it's they got... just discovered they could use computers, mm-hmm. and they discovered that the computer had a lens flare button. <laughs> now it it just made one type of lens flare, but they used that on everything, regardless of where the light source was coming from, and regardless of does this look good. Well, there's a two eight two page spread that um, with the press gang coming in and shooting at the revolutionaries that it, it has this color palette that a lot of the comic books at the time had. I feel like it was impl- influenced greatly by some of the coloring work that, that was being started at Image. Um, and then Marvel was really, you know, I don't I can't speak for DC because I wasn't reading it at the time, but there's a sort of an orange yellow hue to everything. You know, regardless of what color the other objects are, you know, everything is mm-hmm. sort of in that palette. And I agree. It's very, very strange. Yeah. Uh, this is very much a comic of its time. Oh, yeah. With everything that that implies. Uh, where should we rank this oddball comic? Oh, um, I mean, I don't think this is really memorable or noteworthy. It does have some sort of like fun, weird stuff in it. But um, but then why did I remember it? Well, because you you obviously love Sugar Man, and uh... I do love Sugar Man. He, I'm, <laughs> I'm spoiler alert for uh, Uncanny X Men number one from a couple months ago. Now, uh, the murder of Sugar Man both caught me by surprise and made me very sad. Oh yeah, just X Men, don't kill Sugar Man, please. 
he's bad, but he, I liked him. All right, let's um let's look at some of the stuff that we've got down in you know below one fifty. Um, because wait, do you think this is worse than Extinction Agenda? Yeah, I I do because we have okay. Yeah, I mean, it's got it's got a lot of the same problems. You know, very inconsistent artwork. Nothing is really happening. Um, the end Churchill issue is actually pretty nicely drawn. Um, it's it's done pretty well. Do you think this is better than Extinction Here's... Agenda? I don't know. I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. I, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> Extinction Agenda is just very long. When, it's, when Extinction Agenda is good, it's pretty good. When it's bad, it's real bad. Yeah. We've already... That's already set in stone. We're not changing that. Can I tell you what I'm pretty sure this is better than? Yeah, go ahead. I'm pretty sure this is better than number 155 on our list, X-Factor Judgment War. Okay. All right. I can get behind that. Um, do you like this better than, and I know you weren't a huge fan of this, The Curse of the Mutants? I do. It does. Okay. All right. So above that at 153, we have Shatterstar and Adam X versus Arcade in X-Force 29 to 30. Adam, I don't know. <laughs> now we're getting I into think some these real are tough choices. Oddly similar stories. I really think these are like they're nothing stories. Yeah, this they range right here. Dumb nineties stuff. Alright, so let's see if this is a ceiling for you. Uh Ultimate X Men Sinister Arc with the stairs. Stairs moment. is better. Stairs is better. Stairs is okay. Better. So the stairs is better. So, if I have to choose, I'm taking the stairs. So the real decision we have to make here is whether this is better or worse than Shatterstar and Adam X versus Arcade. I would pick the X Force Arc over this. What would you think? I would pick the X Force Arc over this. Alright, so this is gonna be our new one fifty four. This is gonna be our new one fifty four. This is Cable the Long Way Home. The long way home. Ah oh, man. <laughs> I just love the sugar man so much. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep talking about him. It's not like he doesn't appear again. Um, wow. Okay. That... He doesn't appear much. Hold on. Do you think sugar man shows up a ton? Well, he shows up often and you know, you know, every couple issues, he's just in the background drawing pictures of X-Men and you know, it's... do you wait, hold on, hold on. I, this is the best part. This is the best part. Do you know how sugar man came to the six one six universe? I have no idea. He shrunk down really tiny and jumped oh, into uh, Nick yes. Ray's boot. No, I do know that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he shrunk down really tiny and it. jumped into his shoe. That's great. Why? Why not? Oh, Why not? Sugar you... Man, I don't understand you. I, Man, if I could talk to Chris Pichalo, 90% of my questions would be about Sugar Man. That's, that's a big portion of the interview. I mean... If you're really going to go there. Yeah, that's it's why he'll never come on our podcast. Chris, if that's you do want to come on the podcast, I have other questions that are not Sugar Man related. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Anyway, uh, I want to I throw a shout out to Vishal. Thank you so much for supporting the show and suggesting Extinction Agenda. I think this was a fun episode that gave us a lot to talk about. If you want to be just like him, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Files. You can pitch in at whatever level you want. At $2 a month, you can get an episode handcrafted around one of your suggestions. I can tell you, folks, 2019 just started, but spots are filling up way faster than I expected. Yeah, get on uh, So, yeah, get on that sooner rather than later. We will, of course, honor all 
all submissions. We just have to get to them first. Uh, beyond that, uh, there's also some other stuff at different tiers you can get. Uh, one feature that I'm rolling, rolling, rolling out uh, this month is I'm going to do a Q&A segment, like a video live stream ah, thing cool. where I read your questions and talk about them for a little bit. Uh, it's, it's I got one question already that I am very excited to talk about. <laughs> It involves things that I just say on here constantly, so that'll be fun. Uh, beyond that, uh, yeah, if you can't uh, if you can't support the show monetarily, can I tell you the one thing you can do that's the coolest thing that you could do? Just, like, you know your friend who likes X-Men? Tell them about this cool podcast. Just say, hey guys, check this out. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. But maybe you will. Like I don't, I I'm I'm done asking about like iTunes reviews because no one's gonna read that. I don't read it. <laughs> That's not how I get podcasts. I get podcasts because people told me it's dope. So tell people it's dope. Hey Adam, what do you got? What do you got cooking over in your neck of the woods? Where can people find you? And what are you doing? Well, guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, still working on wrapping up Bish and Jube's Attack on the Mansion. New pages coming out on Mondays at adamreck.tumblr.com. And I just started a Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash Adam there's different levels. If you just want to do a dollar a month, I am sending lots of artwork. So I've been doing, you know, little drawings that are appearing in your mailbox uh, almost daily, I think, is the way it's been going so far. So um, if you want to get on board with that, head on over there. Zach, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at XavierFiles.com. That is the main website for all of this uh, X-Men related stuff and things. And also, I mean, like, I, I got articles, I got podcast stuff, I got everything there. Go check it out. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. I talk. I I tweet about stuff. Yeah. That's what it's for. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to call it good content. I am going to call it hashtag content. <laughs> All right. What do we got going on next uh, week? Oh, man, uh, next week we have, um, Adam, what do we have next week? I already closed uh, the tab, uh, and uh, I forget what the main thing is about. District X. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about mutants as a subculture. Yeah. And we are not going to get down to the nitty-gritty where we can uh, discuss it at a socioeconomic level, because we probably are not qualified to do that. We're just going to talk about how it's neat. <laughs> We've got a story, though, where there's inhalers involved that turn you into X-Men, so that'll be fun. <laughs> uh, uh, until then, uh, eat the rich, and this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!